Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog collection. What is up, all you rockers, rockets, and everything in... Oh, wait, hang on, sorry. I'm getting my uh, Corey Morissette Podcast Universe intros mixed up there. I'll start again. That sounded uh, familiar. <laughs> Where was that from? <laughs> welcome on, welcome all to the Ultimate Catalog Clash. This is the podcast where each season we take a look at a different artist catalogue or a specific part of it and then rank each album to find out which record will emerge as the undisputed catalogue champ. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Brown, and I'm joined now and always by my good pal and producer extraordinaire, Corey Morissette. Hey, how's, yo, how's it going? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing just fine, yeah. Looking forward to uh, talking some Genesis. Yes, we got side two of A Trick of the Tale, which uh, was largely a first-time listen for me. There was a couple of tracks I had heard before, um set for well uh, let's recap uh show one here for the folks yeah uh, uh we did side one a trick of the tail i actually kind of like that when i gave it a 19 out of 25 uh, all said and done uh so and you were uh pretty close as well if i remember correctly i think i was 18.5 i think something right, there. right yeah yeah no you were 20 and a half out of 25 was that 20? oh i was 20 and a half that's right yeah that's right yeah Maybe. you probably like mad mad moon a little better than i did I think that's correct. I think you've got it right, yeah. <laughs> so, I should apologize to the listeners also because because we did back-to-back records and I got I don't know why I got stuck into the beer so hard on a Monday <laughs> night. I was quite loopy after, during the second episode, so we'll see how that goes. So. There's nothing wrong with that. Loopy Kevin's one of my favorite Kevins, so. He's <laughs> talked too much. <laughs> well, tonight we're only doing uh, one show and we're going to be doing side two of A Trick of the Tale. So this is going to be interesting because... Uh, my, my scores are a little different uh, on this side. I'm not sure how yours uh, shaped up, but just as a little teaser, uh, mine, mine, mine are different. Well, we'll just put it that way. Mine are different too. Mine are different too. So, And I think, I suspect that we'll have some some similarity. So, All right. So uh, let, let's set the stage, all right? Genesis, at this point in their career, Peter Gabriel has left the band. Um, the, the band uh, kind of got together just to see if they could still write without Peter Gabriel, and uh, they found it was actually pretty easy to put together a whole album worth of songs. They went looking for a new lead singer and realized he was under their nose or specifically behind their asses uh, the entire time <laughs> on the drum kit. And uh, Phil Collins sings lead on this one for the first time. Yeah, and I do like, too, that there was an interview with Peter Gabriel fairly shortly after um, he had left, and he said that he had every confidence in the world that they would be just fine without him. He said that like he was more confident in them in them than they were. Yeah, and of course, you know, there's going to be a difference between Trick of the Tale and Wind and Wuthering, which is our next album, because this album doesn't have a lot of, a lot of uh, contribution from Steve Hackett, because of course he'd been off doing his solo album. So there is definitely a sonic difference between this one and the albums either side of it. And uh, one thing, uh, I haven't really listened to any of the Peter Gabriel albums, but one thing that I read was there was a big improvement in sound quality uh, on this record. Uh, would you say that was the case from Wind and Withering, or sorry, from a Trick of the Tail and the early Peter Gabriel stuff? Yeah, Lamb Lies Down. I mean, Lamb Lies Down was a very specific sound because it's a double concept album. And so it's got its own thing, like it's got its own feel. Now, I think that this album we've talked about a little bit, some of the production is a wee bit dated, but there are a couple, two or three tracks on this that I think the production is just, yeah, miles, miles, miles ahead. And that even takes a step up when, you know, Hugh Padgham or 
Padgham. I, I can never know how to pronounce that name. When he takes over, I think that's on... I don't think Abacab, I think it... Yeah, maybe Abacab or Visible Touch. He takes over there. So that progression of their sound through the 80s, you know, the late 70s into the 80s, definitely is noticeable because... And we'll talk about this again in a little bit. And we talked about it on the last episode that Steve Hackett's guitar is so trebly and he goes for that sound really, really hard, but it makes it a little bit thin. And I think that when you when you when your production isn't top notch, that can wash out the sound out a little bit. So I think that they definitely got a little bit better on this album. Right. Uh, this was uh, David Henschel uh, producing, uh, and, and he yeah. started off just kind of a, a tech uh, working with uh, with Genesis kind of earlier in the in their career, right before he graduated to producing. Well, I think he was also the engineer on um, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Oh, on right. John's album. I'm pretty sure that's right. Um, I wouldn't want to lay any serious money on it, but I think I read that somewhere at some point. Yeah, that album's okay. <laughs> it's funny how those pe- people, like, you know, engineers tend to get promoted or step into that producer role, right? Once they know how to get a sound and a band trust them, it's like, okay, well, maybe we'll listen to you as a producer. So, Yeah, it says here, actually, he was a, a tape op and then later an engineer. And Phil was actually a fan of his uh, from his uh, album, Starting Music, a re-recording of Ringo Starr's album, Ringo. That's an unusual thing to do is re-record Ringo Starr album. I mean, I know, right? McCartney, Lennon, or Harrison, sure, but Ringo? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, better. Each their own. Hey, Ringo's in the Hall of Fame. He certainly is. <laughs> All right, what do you say? Should we get into a trick of the tale? Let's do it. All right, side B kicks off with a song called Robbery, Assault, and Battery. Let's check it out. I already hate it. <laughs> You're just ornery from doing the uh, Aerosmith podcast. That's what's going on here. You've had to deal with Mariano for the last hour. <laughs> no, he was actually not bad tonight. He was picking on Scott. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I got away scot-free, but I don't know. Uh, as soon as this one kicked in, I'm like, Ugh. And it's it's got a real sort of... I'd written down that, again, because I, I don't listen to this song very often, not to tip my hand too hard, but it feels almost like a leftover idea from Lamb Lies Down because it feels like a show tune. It's yeah. got that kind of Broadway feel to it, right? And when when Phil starts singing and he's doing his, you know, his Dickensian Oliver Twist shtick, it, man, you know, compared to the rest of this album, it just doesn't work. And especially as an opener for side two, it's such a weird placement for this song. Yeah, uh, we, we talked last week about, uh, you know, the uh, sequencing matters. And yeah. uh, man, it really does. And when it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And that, that's a great observation. I agree with that. I'm gonna. I skipped all the way up to the chorus here because th- this is where I really got pissed off. <laughs> oh God. It sounds like a really shit ABBA. <laughs> exactly. It's got the same, you know, that same disco beat. And it just, I'd written down to like, the thing I always think about this song is it feels like the lyrics are really shoehorned in. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the lyrics and the music, it's almost two completely separate songs and they really clash. And just the cadence and the, 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 the sort of the placement of the syllables in robbery, assaulting bear. It just, oh, fuck off, man. Really? That's all you got? Seriously? So are, are you a fan of, of the lyrical story they're they're telling here? He, he's singing it in character, right? Yeah, and I don't mind that. That's the, you know, because in the lyrics, it's kind of the best part of the song for me because it's a, you know, it's a, like I said, it's, it's a, you know, God always fights on the side of the bad man. That's a great line. And you get the impression almost that the title of the song came first 
and then they wrote the rest of sort of the theme around it. And that can be a bit of a tricky thing to do. But again, if it was a show tune or something like it was the middle, you know, the, the second act in a, in a musical, totally, yeah, that's fine. I can do that with the, with the thief and going in and getting caught and da-da-da-da. But in the middle of a Genesis album? Oh, my, my. It just doesn't land for me at all. No, me either. Uh, did, did you have a time code you want to skip to? Or, or uh, my next one was actually a 229, uh, which is kind of uh, the middle instrumental section. You can go to that one because mine's about 305. But I just, I did want to say that, well, you know what? I'll, I'll leave that comment until we'll have to listen to this bit because there is a, okay, I'll try to find one positive, Corey. So 305 to about 325 is, is something I want to talk about. So if you punch okay. those in, I'll have a listen and then we'll go from there. Sounds good. Here we go. Does any of that work work in concert with each other? Like, it sounds like jazz where it's just, I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want and you're going to do whatever the fuck you want. And we're just going to throw it all together. Oh, it's totally jazz. And it's the same thing they do on, a little bit on dance, but on Los Endos too, you get that real jazz flavor. Here, it just feels a bit scattered. And what I'd written down about the music, and this is a good exemplar of it, is that it just feels sort of, feels a bit try too hard. Yeah, I know you're Genesis and I know you can do this, but... When they do that well, when they build those really big complex sections out, they sound fantastic. But when they don't, it feels a bit muddy and it feels a bit like this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it just, I don't know, there's something about it that's just a bit thrown together for me. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, let's skip ahead to 305. That is fucking cool because on the first r- run through that bar, they're playing straight time, bam, bam, bam. Oh, sorry, the second time, but on the first time through, on the on the odd number bars, they're going bam, bam. It's behind the beat, and that's not definitely not playing to a click. Back in mm-hmm. what seventy, what was it, seventy six? This album, seventy seven or something. There's yep. no way they're playing to a click then, and that's just bloody good timing. That's incredible meter from Collins and Rutherford uh, in that rhythm section. So that's just super cool. Yeah, it really is. And I had this section marked down to it as being a positive as well, because uh, even though that first part of the middle section, I didn't get it all. Uh, this yeah. part here, I, I, I really enjoyed. Uh, so my next one uh, goes all the way up to 526. Did you have one before then? No, I got nothing else. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's go to 526 then and uh, check this part out. That baseline's pretty hot, though. The, the baseline's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Mike Rutherford, absolutely. Amen, brother. But that was like the musical equivalent of just getting repeatedly wrapped in the head with a tire iron. <laughs> it, it was that painful. It's that, it, well, I mean, it's it's what prog gets criticized for a lot, right, is, is excess. Like, does this yeah. need to be 16 bars? Could we just have, like, two, three, four bars of that? Do we need two minutes of it? Phil, really? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know about this one. I really did not like this one. Uh, Genesis played it 155 times live oh between God, 76 and 77, which I, I couldn't believe. I'm like, really? This is what you're busting out? Like, we got a new album. Let's play a little bit of it. And this is what you bust out? Like, geez. Oh, dude, there's, there's a song later in the catalog that 
when you learn how many times that was played, you'll, I mean, even if you sit on the floor, you'll fall off. Like it's just, <laughs> it's incredible. It'll blow your mind. Um, it's like when Queen came out with Hot Space and they're like, all right, we're going to play body language. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> I did like Freddie's uh, little intro, though, to Stay in Power Live. It's only a bloody record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Stay in Power Live is a lot better than the recorded version, but we're not doing the Queen podcast. We're not doing, we're doing Genesis. <laughs> All right, so that's Robbery, Assault and Battery. I thought it was a steaming pile of shit. Uh, musically, I'm going to give it a five, though, because the band sounds really good. And Mike Rutherford, like, like you said, yeah. really a standout on this one. There's another track coming up where I thought he was a real standout. Uh, really underrated bass player. He he did a great Very job on that so. one. Uh, lyrically, I'm giving it a three out of ten because it sucks ass. And production, <laughs> I'm going to give it a, a three out of five because actually, you know, there's some nice separation. It sounds like sonically, I thought it sounded okay. Uh, you know, song structure stinks. That's why it loses too. But uh, I really appreciate the the kind of production work that went into it. Uh, especially like the separation left side, right side. Like they, I thought they yeah. made good use of padding and all that. So uh, I'm, I was maybe a little generous when I heard this for the first time. Uh, if I were grading it now, I'd probably give it a, a one and a half, but I gave it a three <laughs> at the time. I'm going to stick with the three. So five for music, three for lyrics, three for production. Kevin Brown, what did you think? Music four. Like I said, it's a bit try too hard. The movements between the sections don't feel as slick as when they get it right. And things like Dance in the Volcano, Los Endos, which we're going to get to. Those, and it's just way busier than it needs to be. Lyrically, like I said, I, I like the lyrics in this one because it does tell a kind of a cool story. It's just in the wrong, it's on the wrong album with the wrong band almost. Um, and again, that's like I said, that line, God always fights on the side of the bad man. That's a, and you know, and if you think about when this was released, that's quite a subversive line in ways, you know, like that's a heavy metal kind of line that someone would put in there. So I gave it a five. And then production, yeah, I, I went for 1.5 because the drums on this sound weaker than any of the points on the album. Um, and it's really the Tony Banks show and he's just, he's just doing too much. It's choppy. There's too many ideas crammed into six and a half minutes. I just, it's like, no, it's not for me. So yeah, four or five and 1.5. See, I didn't, mind the, I didn't mind the drums uh, on that section. We played at three or five, the, the positive section we both like. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I, I, I thought that them. was really good. Yeah, because you can hear them. There you go. All right, so that's a turkey. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, this is a song called Ripple. Blue girls coming every side. Some are wise and some are the wise. They got pretty blue eyes. Now that's more like it, right? You got a nice, got a nice guitar going there. You got Phil Collins sounding great. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I dug the beginning of that one. Well, this one was written right. This was one of the ones that was written on the album with the intent that Phil would definitely sing this one, regardless of who came in to be the lead singer. This was one they were going to give to Phil because they knew he could do this because the songs that he'd done before with the band. We're in similar vein, right? It was this sort of mid mid range. Then you could handle it. Mm-hmm. And again, that another it's another great. Line. I like I like the lyrics in this one too because you know some are wise and some otherwise. It's quite a nice little lyrical twist. And that blue girl's invention, which isn't a thing, that's just a, you know because you look back, what's a blue girl? No, it was nothing online because it's Tony Banks just pulled that out of the air, right? So <laughs> now was that a twelve string guitar? Play a little bit more. Okay. For now, a man may change. No. No, it's two guitar parts. Yeah, they're, and that's the thing with Genesis often, where it sounds like it's, if it sounds like a 12-string, quite often it's, well, I haven't said that Tony Banks did play a 12-string on this, but I don't think it's on this one. I'd have to check. I'd have to go and look. Well, I, I know that, uh, I thought Mike Rutherford played a little, or somebody played a little, uh, it was a 12-string composed piece by Rutherford, according to my notes. Well, this is Banks, isn't it? This one, or is, have I got that wrong? Come this is Rutherford, actually. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, Rutherford and Banks, actually. So. Rutherford and Banks, and... Well, yeah, Rutherford and Banks both play 12-string. Maybe it isn't. 
It's hard to tell with, like I said, it's hard to tell with Genesis because they double, they multi-track their guitars so often that you can't ever be quite sure whether it is one or two guitars. Right. Now, I said I think in show one that uh, you, you kind of get some hints of where Genesis would go uh, further in their career. To me, and it's ripples. Uh, that that chorus, I mm-hmm. think, was just just wonderful, just lovely. The cool thing about this, a couple of cool things too, that especially with the chorus on this song, you notice on that comeback, that line, the chord doesn't go back to the root. We were expecting it. The first time through, it goes to the major seventh, and then the second time around, I think it goes to the sixth or something, either second or the sixth. So it's, it's again, it's a very simple sounding structure but Tony Banks and Mike Rutherford are always going to throw something peculiar in, right? And it's just that little that little twist. And the other thing about it, and I don't know if you noticed this, but with the chorus, uh, the first chorus is eight bars. The second chorus is 14, and then the third is 16. So again, they're playing with form and sort of stretching things out and putting you know, a little bit of bonus content in for you. So it's, it's, that's just a neat little songwriting trick that you don't find very often. Oh, yeah, I totally got all that, too, with middle sevenths and eights and throwing a ninth and tenth, too. Why the fuck not? I, yeah, I'm <laughs> right there with you. I totally, totally understood every fucking word you said. Okay. <laughs> I want to talk about the lyrics a little bit, though, because uh, yeah. I, I, I love the, the entire message of the song, which is about passing time, the in, inevitability of change, you know, yeah. uh, you know, the, your, your face is constantly changing. That was always the thing with Phil Collins, right? His face. Yeah, because all of his solo albums are just pictures of his face, and even the remasters are his older face. Yeah. Uh, so you know, the next uh, verse uh, kicks in with, uh, uh, what's the line? The face that launched a thousand ships is sinking fast. That happens, you know, like yeah, yeah. yeah it's just getting old. I, I really kind of dug the whole meaning of this one. It's that cautionary tale, right? Of like, you know, don't don't wait to enjoy life or to, you know, tell someone you love them or to go and do something exciting or interesting because you've only got now really because anything could happen in the next moment. So it's that, you know, that ripples never come back and that, you know, that it's the last time you'll look like today. So that's that thing of seize the moment, copy DM, you know? Yep. Yep. It's all going to be done tomorrow possibly. So uh, did you have a time code you want to jump to here? My next one is 308. I want to go to, oh, well, you can do 308 because I want to go to 423. So we'll do 308 first then. Yeah. All right. And I think I just wanted a, a taste of, of the full band on the chorus there because yeah. it sounds so nice. It's got those nice suspended chords that uh, Tony Banks does so well too. Now, we're going to skip to four, uh, 5.20, but there's a slight issue here, Corey, and it's good that you're going to do it here because we're going to talk about it because what I've picked up on isn't in the version that we're listening to right now. Really? But just play it a little bit. So this is the 2007 remaster that we're listening to. Mm-hmm. So if you just listen to this first... And you listen, just listen to the snare drum. It's what the snare I want you to listen to. Then when we go back to the original recording, you'll hear a difference, which is real and quite distinct. 
ഓക്കെ Okay, now if you go to the other version, just the regular, and then go back to that one at 520 again. Do you can hear that first hit, snare hit is really loud. Second mm-hmm. snare hit sounds like it's over in a different room. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why they remastered that out. Because that's a neat, again, that's a neat little sort of And it's panned way over in the right-hand side as well on the original. I can't remember it is on the remaster, but it's, it's curious that those are the little things that they choose to change, hey? And you wonder whether sometimes it's going back and thinking, oh, actually, would it mean it to sound like that? Or or if Phil, Phil Collins is in charge of the remaster and says, I always fucking hated the way we mix that, so I'm going to change that, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't know how involved he was with the remaster. That seems like a Tony and Mike thing. But normally that's a drummer who's making that call. Like, oh, I always hated all that fucking sound on the record. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wanted to play a little bit from 357 if we could. Uh, this is just kind of the, the middle instrumental section. there's almost a sense of foreboding on this right it's very atmospheric yeah. and it kind of fits the tone of the song when you get that guitar tone that um hackett's getting i'm pretty sure that on the record it's back masking i think they're playing the notes backwards and then and then you know reversing the tape because when he plays it live it does sound a little bit because you can do that with the volume knob so you don't get the attack you know you, you have the volume knob right down and then and pull it up as you as you pick but i don't think he's doing that on the record it sounds like that beatlesy kind of let's you know, turn the tape around and it sounds super, and it's very Genesis-y. They do that lots through throughout the thing, but yeah, it's got that, that, and it's got that low, very, very low rumbly synth, which is awfully dated. You know, it sounds really, really dated. Uh, did you have anything else sir, from this one you wanted to hear? Just 747, like right toward the end of your list, just as it's fading out, you really hear Mike Rutherford's beautiful bass tone, which you don't really hear during the rest of the track. All right, here we go. there do 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 so cool man there's quite a few cool things actually in the fade out yeah tony on the piano sounded cool and there was even a nice little uh simple hit that phil did too so and the the fade out seemed kind of weird to me like uh, you didn't get a lot of fade out on this album right they're usually no and i wrote that down because i think there's two songs on this album that get that fade out and i think they actually both work this one because if you think about you know ripples never come back so it's that idea of something moving away into the distance so i quite like the fade out there because thematically it kind of ties into the lyrics yeah 100% i agree uh, i love ripples uh, i i think this is maybe my my favorite album on the on the entire or my favorite track on the album i'm not even drinking tonight and i'm fucking up everything <laughs> i'm saying uh musically i gave it an 8 which I was probably a little cranky on. It could have been higher. Uh, lyrically, I gave it a nine because I really love the the theme of the other lyrics and what they're saying. And production-wise, I thought it was fantastic. I gave it a four. So eight, wow. nine, and four for me. Okay, well, I was, I was definitely not that generous. Um, like I said, the music, I love the verse and the chorus. And I actually did, I'm going to send it to you, Corey. I did an edit of this, a radio edit. 
and I took out that middle section because it's the middle section where it loses me. And I, I mean, I grew up, I'm a, I was a keyboard player growing up. That's my first instrument. Um, I love prog. I love proggy middle sex. I like all that kind of stuff. But when that's kind of sandwiched into this beautiful, you know, harmonic song that, that sweeps and it's lush and it's melodic, it's so jarring and it just takes you out of the moment for me. And I don't know where exactly in the ripples that that really, maybe it's the stone going into the water. I don't know, but it, it doesn't yeah. quite fit for me, you know? And it's um, too long. Uh, that's one note I made is exactly, song, yeah, it's just eight minutes long. Like, holy cow. It drags it out. Yeah. Cause I, without that section, I think it comes down to four 30. So I'll send it to you because like I said, and what I'd written down is when you listen to that edit version, then you can hear follow you, follow me your own special way. All those sort of later ballads that you, it's like, ah, okay. Yeah. That's the precursor to those songs. Right. Um, lyrics. Yeah. I went with an eight. I that summer wise and summer otherwise is great. The blue girl thing I love. Um, and they've got a really nice rhythm to them too. Like he sings them like the cadence of it sounds cool. Production, like I said, I went the the detraction of the middle section just it took it took too much away from me. I do like that progression of the chorus of building it from you know eight to, to fourteen to sixteen. That's super super cool. But I think also that Tony's horn horn part that he's playing on the synth in that middle section is drowning out a very cool arpeggio that he's playing on the piano. So it's just again it's just a bit cluttered for me. So okay. yeah, well, still not too bad for Ripples, uh, track number six from A Trick of the Tail. Uh, let's keep going on side B here and play a little bit of the title track. This is a trick of the tail. She keeps a mowing and shining. <laughs> Sorry, wrong show. Well, you know, you know which song that Tony Banks said he was kind of copying a little bit with this, or took the rhythm from. It's getting better all the time by the Beatles. Yes, yeah, yeah. And there's so, definitely that in there as well. Hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. So right off the hop, uh, there's really no rhyming scheme in the verses, right? No. Right. So is is that a prog trademark or is it just there to piss me off? It, yeah. I mean, it's used because it's this, I think you could almost treat this as like an epic poem, right? If, when you read the lyrics and look at it, th this is one where, because songs don't always make good poetry necessarily because you're fitting them within sort of a construct. This one you could actually read as a poem. You probably reduce the number of times the verse repeats, but it's, it's the same thing, right? So the intro, I love because you get those, uh, the bells straight away, right? The little bell chimes. And then you also get that syncopation in the opening with the that descending line, that bass line that rolls down. It sits between the beat, between those piano notes. It's, it's just a uh, guitar notes. It's so cool. It's so, so cool. <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's roll forward here a little bit here to about a minute 10. Again. But soon they grew bored of their prey. The beast that can talk more like a freak or publicity stunt. They got no horns and they got no tail. They don't know of our existence. I'm wrong to believe in the city of gold. So there's a lot going on there, Kevin. Man, it's so fucking cool. That's, I mean, that's transition, that section. I love the chorus in this. I like the transition from the verse to the chorus. I don't even notice that's what I was doing, that little thing. So they've got that little wood block that's going the ta, 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 
it's got that little click in between again in between the beats mm -hmm. and it's like to me that's always been sort of suggesting that the beast maybe had hooves so it's these like clip clopping around it's that little sort of that little added sort of uh note to it all right uh did you have a, a place you want to do a shuttle forward to here i do but i also want to quickly though that the other part about that that i like is in genesis we're always good about this too is I'm not going to roll. I don't say meme roll it back, but if you roll back and listen to that when it comes in on or publicity stunt, just a freak or publicity stunt, um, just a freak. I think it's just a freak. That's the line, right? Just a freak. They don't. It's just Phil Collins' vocal single tracked. When it goes to or publicity stunt, then they double track his vocal, and there's no. It's not a harmony, but he's he's singing the same thing, but it's double tracked. So you get that slight bit of resonance between the two lines and it just thickens up the bulk and sounds super cool so i like again all those little production things when genesis did them well really elevate a song um i'm really the only again i want to talk about this song in more general terms so i'm 338 is my next punch in so i don't know if you've got one before that uh, i had a 252 let's go i think this is the tony intro into a verse so. Set out with the beast and his horns and his crazy description of home. After many days' journey, we came to a peak where the beast kissed the broad and cried out. We followed his gaze. And I love the perspective switch there, too, in this verse, right? Because the, the first two verses are from the perspective of the beast, quote unquote. So this is now this perspective of his captors who he's managed to sort of break free from his cage and but he's taking them along because he wants to show them this this other world that they maybe not understand. So it's that kind of he's he's not a an aggressive beast, and maybe he's a little bit more advanced actually than the people who caught him and locked him up. So interesting, because I I'm listening to this lyrically, and to me again, it, it it's very British sounding. Uh, okay. and, and this is where our different sensibilities are gonna come in because I'm not following the story so much. Okay, and, and it, it just kind of sounds like a big muddled mess to me. I know it's I know it's about a beast. Uh, there's a cage at some point. There's noble towers, uh, some gold apparently. I don't know. I, I had a hard time following this one. So it's from a I can't remember what novel it's from. It was based on a novel, um, but it's sort of so okay. So the it, it, essentially it's a it's a, a I think it's some Neanderthals it was the, the, in this story about something it was exposing the you know we we sort of think of Neanderthals as being well you know it's now an adjective is Neanderthal and they're sort of uncivilized unsophisticated where really they had culture and they had you know community and they had art and they had all these things so it's that idea that this outside look at humanity to say well we're not quite as advanced as sometimes we like to think we are where this beast comes in and he's got horns and a tail, so he looks weird and they grab him and they throw him in a cage and he's this now this carnival kind of thing where he, all he really wants to do is go on, well, he's, he's trying to find a mate is what he's trying to do, but he wants to get out from, he's, he's got the same thing about living in a small town that a lot of people in Saskatchewan have. He's like, hey, fuck, I want to just go anywhere else but here. So he goes out and finds out that the gold, the city of gold that he was looking for actually is the home that he left. And so what I like though is that it really shows the difference in humanity between the beast and the humans, which I always think of it that way around, where in that in the in the bridge, he says he grabbed the creature by the scruff of his neck, pointing out, "There, beyond the bounds of your weak imagination, lie the noble towers of my city, bright and gold. Let me take you there, show you a living story. Let me show you such me." So again, it's that kind of idea that you're not nearly as advanced as you think you are. That's what I've always taken from the lyric in this one. Yeah, see, I, I come from bands who say things like, uh, uh, "Can you see me standing here? I got my back against the record machine." <laughs> 
but it's a proggy thing too. Right? It's fantasy. It's high fantasy. It's, you know, it's like Zeppelin doing, you know, uh, immigrant song or take me to the land of ice and snow with it. You know, it's the same kind of idea. It's, it's detachment and taking you into a fantasy world song. Yeah, but immigrant kind of song sounds you. cool. Like the, the, <laughs> this, this doesn't sound cool. You got no tailing. You got no oh, fuck off. <laughs> Ponzi British shite. Oh, that's so funny that you take that from it. That's hilarious. All right, I went to 349. We got a little Tony here. Is there any guitar on this song? Yeah. Is there? Yeah, it's just like a, a a picked rhythm sort of thing. It's not yeah, it's not prominent, but you can also hear um, uh, Hackett's playing like a. It's kind of a crunchy, distorted guitar. If you listen, it's quite bassy and it's spare. It's not it's not in there at all. But if you listen for it, it it's definitely there. Okay, because I was listening and I, I get a lot of Tony and I get a lot of Mike, and that's about it for yeah. me. But but if you roll back to about three thirty six, I just wanted to because this is the one of the bits that I like when the, when the beast goes home and there's this little counter melody and it's in the left channel. If you listen for all, unless it's, I don't know if they remastered it onto a different channel, but if you listen to it, so. Okay. So it sings, hello friend, welcome home. Okay. And it's not. I, well, I said that. I don't know if you're sharing in stereo, but because it's it's really panned over hard left in the in, on the original mix, and I like that because it's got that dreamy thing. You can almost. It's almost like you can. You know, when you can hear a conversation in another room, and you can't. You know, people speaking, and you can pick out a word here and there, but all those little harmonies and where the, the vocal inflections through that last chorus, you can't really hear exactly what's going on. But then, hello, friend, welcome home. Sounds out. So that's that thing of where he's gone back home now, and he's he's positive. You know, glad you went out and tried things out, but we're glad you're home. See, and I, I didn't pick that up uh, the first time listening through it. Uh, I, I was still trying to make heads or tails probably of, of the lyrics <laughs> or, or whatever. But uh, uh, was there anything else uh, on a trick of the tail that you wanted to play here tonight? No. No. All right. Uh, I, I wasn't a huge fan of this one. Uh, musically, I gave it a six. Obviously, everyone's playing real well. Um, I didn't pick up any guitar listening to it the, the first time or the little bits listening here. And uh, if you got Steve Hackett, you know, you, you got a Ferrari in the garage, you know, take it out for a spin every once in a while. It doesn't have to be the Tony Bank show all the damn time is my point. But I thought Mike uh, sounded great. Uh, Phil did too. Um, I'm not a fan of the big uh, Ponzi hoity-toity uh, English <laughs> fancy-ass lyrics or chorus. So I gave that a five. And... Uh, <laughs> and uh, at a production, I gave it a two and a half because again, uh, there there wasn't much uh, song structure wise that that really kind of worked for me. So we're going to be way different on this one, I know. But six, five, and two and a half is where I landed on a trick of the tail. How about you, my friend? This is it's on it just absolutely peak Genesis for me. Like it's a song that I've loved. That's the, the problem. Very first, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, uh, prog era definitely right. Um, top ten from the prog era for me. I might even be top 10 overall because I just love this track. So, I, I mean, it's a 10, 10, and 5 for me. It's, it's a wow. perfect song. It's a perfect Genesis song for me. I wouldn't it's change... It's a perfect song. Hold yeah, I wouldn't change a single note in this song. I really wouldn't. I just where's absolutely Ra adore it. Where's Randy Woods when you need him? <laughs> but it's like, I think in contrast to the last two songs we listened to, if you think about just even just the production, every single part in this song is clear. Like I said, and I think, honestly, if you go back and listen to the, the original mix, not the 2007 remaster, because the, the remaster doesn't... Doesn't sound quite the same to me, and I don't know if it stands out. I'd have to go back and listen to you know this track maybe in in, in completion, but um, go back and listen to the original because again every part's clear. But where 
I think the middle section in ripples and robbery salt and batteries just it's just throwing everything at you know the kitchen sink and they're what do they say they're chewing the foot chewing the scenery is that what they're they're, yeah. they're all they're over egging it right yeah on this one they dial all that back and there's still a lot going on there's actually 24 chords in this song compared to only 15 on ripples so there's a lot more going on in the sounds but i think it's all balanced out better so that's and phil's drums sound great on this i don't know to me like i said it's a perfect song so yeah i think it's fantastic that i gravitated more to ripples uh, because that's kind of my Genesis era that I, that I kind of gravity to. Yeah. And I, I consider that a much closer to a perfect song than I did this, but you went the opposite way. So that that's pretty cool. I thought how that worked out. Absolutely. I think it's the first time we've really been quite a long way apart on the song so far. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we only got one more, my friend. It's Los Endos. So this is a nice instrumental. So we won't have to give a, a rating on lyrics. So so that's kind of nice. This will just be music and and uh, song structure and production. So let's check out a little Los. How did, what did you call it in show one? Remember Los Anus. No, yeah, Los Anus. <laughs> the Lost Anus. <laughs> I love the fact that after 30 seconds of this song, if you don't know it, you have no fucking idea where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no idea what's to come. No, that's a good call. And the only reason I know it is because they played it uh, in uh, 07. Was it 07, the uh, reunion tour? They played it. I mean, this song was played. I think the only tours they didn't play it on were We Can't Dance. And then some of the sort of the, the smaller reunion things they did before 07. But every other time, I mean, this was, it's the most played Genesis song. It's the song they've most played live, which is, you know, pretty incredible when you think about it. But but there is a good reason for it, which we'll we'll get into. That was it 661 times? You something bet. like that from 76 to 07. Yeah, mm-hmm. crazy. Colin's symbol work, man. I know that's we've great, talked about symbols before. It's so good. He's so tasty, and he's not reefing on him. He's just he's it's shimmery. There's a word, right? We talk about symbols. They're very that's shimmery right. symbols. They're yep, beautiful. Very and like we talked about Mark Rutherford, massively underrated because he's got some hot shit that he's all through this song. It's incredible the stuff he's playing. Oh, he killed it on this track. Like especially yeah. this track, he's the real standout. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned Tony being a standout, Phil being a standout. This, this is uh, a mic track, 100. percent um, I, I we we talked earlier about you know th- this is the band just kind of playing uh, almost like jazz right and yeah. it, it was jazz the wrong way to me this is jazz kind of the right way because there there there's a point there's a nice looseness to the way they're playing yeah but it's still got a, some sort of a structure to it and it, it works really well. Well, we'll talk about it a little bit because there's one call or one sort of point that I want to pick up on. There's references back to Dance on a Volcano here. And those two songs, Dance on a Volcano and Los Endos, were written in a jam session. And so I think that that looseness of the piece comes from, yeah, let's just see what happens. Mm -hmm. And just think about that though. Like if I'm in a jam session, I'm playing 
I don't know, ACDC licks and ZZ Top licks and, you know, a bit of swing or a bit of whatever it might be. I can't play that shit. Sit down. That's what you're going to jam? Holy shit, boys. Wow. That's some chops. No kidding. Did you want to skip ahead to anything here? Yeah, go to 245. Killer transition back into the main riff, right? You don't even see it coming. Where they come back in, you think, hang on, that sounds a bit, you cheeky buggers. They don't come in on the one and they don't, so it's not a hard transition, but it's just this gradual fade out of that weird section to this back into the thing, but it's still like going crazy on the drums. It's super, super cool. And not easy to do either. Not easy to do, not easy to write. None of this sounds easy to do. Like no. <laughs> from, from the, comp- the the composition to, to the playing, like it's it's all just really showcases what tremendous musicians all these guys were. Well, we're both hobbyist drummers, right? Can you imagine? I, I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even bother. I wouldn't even bother trying to sit down and learn this one from that uh, that big roll right into it, right into the. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm trying to figure out in my head like what the hell's he doing? <laughs> all right, just uh, skip forward a little ahead. We got a, a tonal shift happening here at about three fifty eight. that part i just love that that's so build. cool man that, yeah. that build is just so deliberate yeah like so, so many lesser bands would like get to that point a lot quicker right yeah like genesis builds it and builds it and builds it and you can just feel it coming and then bang right into oh good, well, good that, shit. and that maniche sh- switch too which they do it's kind of remind me they do something similar on second home by the sea from genesis later on so that becomes a little bit of a sort of a a motif that Genesis uses too. So this through line through the Phil Collins era where it's that drop off. So when you go into that big, you know, you get that big thunder in Thompson. His toms are fucking huge. They sound like Roger Taylor's toms. But those <laughs> big tom sounds then come in, like you said, and it's that nice, slow, gradual build. But then when it comes in, then you get that complete switch. Now we've gone into a different key, different direction. Super, yep. super cool. You got anything else on this one, Kev? Well, again, there's that piece comes in. We've got Dance on a Volcano again, a different piece of Dance on a Volcano's reprise there. Um, 538, like right at the end, again, right in the fade out, we get, we get a little bit of sauce. There's a little bit of interesting stuff in there. So then it goes back into that minor key, right? And you think, I wonder, I wonder how long the unedited version of this is and where they went. And that's a word they showed restraint on this one. Like, yeah. uh, ripples is eight minutes. Uh, man, bad moon is over seven. This one is only 5.53, and it felt yeah. like th- th- this easily could have been like a 9, 10-minute sweep. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'm sure that, I mean, so, okay, so live, did you have, did you watch any live versions of this one, Corey? Uh, just just from their uh, live DVD that they did on the 07 uh, reunion tour. Okay, you should watch it. Well, I, I've seen the 70, but when you watch the Wembley from, I think it's 87. 86, it's probably? 86, 87. It's yeah. so fucking cool. It's, I mean, because they've got that, it's where they had the, like, the low light rig. 
that they would do. So the, the lights would start high and then they'd drop them for home by the sea and then for certain songs. And it's this really sort of cool purple, blue, backlit kind of thing. And it's really ominous and foreboding. And they're playing that little, oh, it's so cool. Yeah. Oh, Genesis. I'll, I'll send you a link. Oh, yeah, please do. I I, I watched uh, parts of the uh, Wembley show from 86 yeah. quite a few times, but I, I never uh, checked out Los Endos. But I'm going to because I love, love, love this track. Uh, I gave it a nine for music. Uh, lyrics is not available because there are no lyrics. And production, I gave it a four and a half. Uh, not a lot to complain about about Los Endos for me. How about you? I mean, unbelievably, or maybe believably, we're exactly the same. Nine, 4.5, <laughs> and not applicable for lyrics. Even though, you know, there's an angel standing in the sun free to get back home. And I wonder if I wonder if they wrote lyrics for this, but then decided that, you know, like I said, with some of those other like Robbery Salt and Battery, if you put lyrics over this, it's gonna be busy and it's gonna get a bit it's gonna get a bit much. Yeah. Guess what, boys? You could have fucking made Robbery Assault and Battery an instrumental, and I would have liked it a hell of a lot more. There's some brilliant transitions too between this section. And again, that highlights with those first two songs on side A. I think those transitions in these sections are so much better. Because I think it comes from that jam thing where it's a little bit looser and a little bit less prepared. And if it's more natural, when you've got, you know, a brilliant rhythm section like that and Tony Banks sitting in and just messing around all over the on, on the melody line, if you're gonna come up with gold, don't overthink things, boys. I think sometimes they overthink things and try and do too much. I know. Well, actually, those uh, uh, couple lines he sang at the end there, wasn't that from Supper's Ready? Is it? Is it still sounding his son? Yeah, because I have in my notes here that uh, Colin sang a few lines from Supper's Ready uh, uh, during the fade-out as a tribute and final goodbye to Peter Gabriel. This is the part uh, of the show where Kevin looks up something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're doing podcast crossovers again. Yeah, um, yeah. there's an angel standing in the sun. I'd totally forgotten about that. It's right at the end of the... Right at the end of the song, yeah, supper's ready. You know, even though we're not doing um, Gabriel or Genesis at the moment, at some point we'll do, we'll do a one-off episode. We've got to do supper's ready because that, that's the whole side of an album on its own. So I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? If you win this season, uh, you, you can pick Gabriel Genesis for season two. <laughs> I think I'd lose you. I think you just quit. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? At the end, we're going to have to explain uh, how that's all going to work because we actually have yep. uh, some some rules around that. But um, that's the end of a trick of the tale. Uh, my side two uh, ended up being uh, seven for music, five and a half for lyrics, three and a half for production where the averages give me a grand total of 16 out of 25, meaning for the entire album for me, I was 35 out of 50 or 70%. So that's not too shabby, Kev. How did your uh, grade turn out? So this side was seven and a half for music, seven for lyrics, three and a half for production. So I think pretty similar. We had our, our differences were Ripples and Trick of the Tail. Right. Um, which, you know, I'll, I'll educate you. I'll get you on try on side with Trick of the Tail. I'll explain to my Englishness and, you know, that whole thing. It, it, you know what? When you said that, I'd never thought about that before, but it does have a very sort of specific almost like a Victorian London feel to it. I don't, have you ever played um, Assassin's Creed? Uh, oh, gosh, the one set in London. Do you play? I don't even play Assassin's Creed. No, anyway, I have not, no. It feels a little bit like it's got that sort of late century, you know, everyone's getting excited about Darwin. And so you're going to tie into this kind of idea of exploring and finding new species and things. So I think it's got a bit of that. I can see where that comes from. So. It's very pompous. It's very, uh, we're going to stop whatever the fuck we're doing and have tea for no reason <laughs> at three in the afternoon. What you mean, playing a major sports event? You just stop for lunch and then stop for supper. What's wrong with that? I don't know. You know, I mean, have roast beef in the middle of a sports contest. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. I could go for some roast beef right now. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I, my, mine was 38, 38 and a half overall is my album score, and I think, like again, I mean, overall, it's a you know, it's a fantastic album to you know assure Genesis fans that 
okay, yeah, Pete's left, but we're still here and we can still do it. We've got this new singer who you already know, and it's got some high highs in it. But again, some of those moments, a few of them haven't aged very well, you know. But it's also yep. got, I think, probably the best pairing of an opening and closing track on any Genesis album because Dance on a Volcano and Los Endos, the perfect bookends, and they're two parts of the same song, really. Right. So I think that's very cool to be able to do that. Yes, and the reprise during uh, Los Angeles of Dancing mm-hmm. the Volcano, which I thought was very, very cool. So I was 70%, you were 77. Uh, not too shabby for a trick of the tale. Uh, but we're coming up on the, the second album of the Phil Collins era, and it's one I can pretty much guarantee you uh, it's going to be a first-time listen for me. I haven't checked it out yet. I'm going to do my research this weekend on it, but uh, maybe just tease us a little bit on uh, Winded Withering. So Winded Withering is where Hackett really comes back in and starts contributing a lot more. Um, and so it's like I said to you, it sounds it sounds more like earlier Genesis than Trick of the Tail. That it was almost like another backward step, exactly, but sonically it kind of is in a way. Um, and Hackett sort of didn't love that there were certain tracks left off this album that were, you know, I don't know, well maybe not this, but it's like stuff that got left off that it was short, that he thought should have been on where songs that were a little bit shorter, because, you know, most of the songs in this album, there's one 10-minute song, which I know you're going we're going to love. Um, but there's also Your Own Special Way, which I can say 619. But there's a bunch of shorter songs on this one. Um, and there's also three instrumentals on this next album. So it's a lot more... I'd say it's a lot more Hackett influence than this one is because Steve obviously didn't contribute too much to this. Also, it's, you know, it's the album that kind of nudged Steve Hackett to sort of say, well, I don't know, boys, I think I'm going to leave. Well, I tell you, uh, when when you you, I was looking at the track listing for a trick of the tail. We had a song called Squonk, and I thought that's really interesting. This one we have a song called What Gorilla. So, uh, yeah. looking forward to see what that's all about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and WOT too. So it's like, oh dear, I, tell 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 me you're a forty year old white man without telling me you're a forty year old white man. <laughs> Trying to be cool. I suppose they weren't back then. They were. They would have probably been about thirty or something. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're one album down. Uh, maybe let's tell the folks uh, how this is going to work at the end of it all. We're taking these grades. We're going to try and determine, uh, based on our uh, you know re-listen uh, of all these albums, what we think the ultimate Phil Collins Genesis album is. And uh, how is the grading system going to work with our special uh, judge? Well, what is our total score for this one, Corey, first of all? Yeah, so we're uh, 73.5. Okay. Is the final total on that one. So what we've done, folks, is Corey and I both independently of each other and without each other knowing, I've sent a little uh, message off to our good friend, Scott Kahaskin, who is the sexiest man in podcast. And if you've never come across him before, you, well, don't come across him. I don't think you'd enjoy that. But anyway, you should listen to him is what you should do, because he's very, very cool. So he's like, a, he's going to be our sort of our, uh, our holding tank for our votes for what we think is going to be the best album in the catalog, apart from one album that we've discounted. Which album did we discount, Corey? We discounted Invisible Touch because it is, is it is the biggest by far uh, of the Phil Collins era. And uh, I, I think it's pretty gosh darn good too. All my favorite songs come from that album. Uh, so that's an easy one to get rid of. We're thinking, you know, what if we did a band like Guns N' Roses? Yeah, everyone's, we're going to give like tens across the board to Appetite for Destruction. That's an easy one to pick as the best of the catalog, right? So let's yeah. just get rid of that one. So for every band we're going to do, uh, we're going to get rid of the most popular or what is considered widely to be the best album. Uh, Invisible Touch by far was the most popular. Uh, so we're going to be picking from the other albums to see uh, which has the highest grade. And Kevin made a selection that I have no idea what it is. I made a selection. He has no idea. And we sent those to Scott. And Scott's going to hold on to those. And on our final episode of the season, he will come on the show and let us know how we did. But 
what if we tied? What if we both pick the same album, Kevin? What's going to happen then? Well, then we've got a tiebreaker situation, Corey. So what we decided to do was we would pick one song from any album in the discography that we'd reviewed that we thought might have the highest joint rating between us. And you've already kicked me in the balls with Trick of the Tail because I thought that you'd be rating that way <laughs> higher than you were, but I didn't pick it. I'm going to reveal oh, that right now. I didn't pick Trick of the Tail. So if the album's the same, then it's going to be uh, the, the song that we picked. And if that's the same, I don't know. We're going to have to Rochambeau or, like, I don't know, pick Rock, Paper, Scissors. Who knows? Well, you know what we should do, actually? We'll let Scott decide how we, just, how we, uh, how we come up with it. The, the, the second tiebreaker. And yeah. we couldn't pick a song from Invisible Touch because that album we just discounted. So I, I got quite technical on mine. I had to think like Kevin Brown. I had to think like a pompous British man. I had to think, hmm. <laughs> I, I, I drank my tea with my pinky out and I thought, hmm, what, what, would, what would Kevin pick? And I thought, oh, he's going to pick a trick of the tail. But I knew I was not grading that one high. So I didn't think I, I would be choosing that one. So I had to pick one that I thought you and I would both rank very high. And it wasn't the one I initially thought I was going to pick. I kind of changed my mind at the last minute saying, no, no, I'm, I'm overthinking this. I got to go with this one. So uh, I, I really got analytical with mine. Did you just kind of go with a gut feeling or did you think, what does that big fat Canadian think? Yeah, he, he likes just rock and roll, right? So I overthought it to a degree that I don't want to disclose on a, on a podcast in front of people. <laughs> yeah, as we're there, it's like, oh my God. First of all, yeah, why do I? I'm going to sit there and I'm going to rank, okay, well, what are the top 20, 25? I'll rank those, okay. Okay. What's Corey going to like? Well, I can dismiss those, I think. I can dismiss these. Well, those, well no, I can, those outlier. So it was a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. And at the end, I picked one of about 10. I just had, I had a 10 that I thought, yeah, I think I'm safe with those. I don't know, dude. It's going to be fun to see. <laughs> I, I can't wait. And he, even if we have a definitive winner on the album side, uh, we're going to have to let Scott uh, announce what our song picks were to see Definitely. just how close we came. Uh, were you surprised by my reaction to Ripples, maybe? A little bit, yeah. I mean, it's not a... Again, that middle section isn't... It's not a super accessible song because it's fucking long. Yeah. And it's so weird that that was released as a... Like, I think it was the B-side to Trick of the Tale... And it might even have been a standalone in the US or something at eight minutes. Because I was trying yeah. to find a radio edit to see if they had actually taken that middle section out. And when I didn't find it, I was like, well, I'm going to check it out and see what it sounds like. And then it's like, yeah, this is, why did you do this? Even if you put this out as a single edit, it would sound so cool. So I was, yeah, I was quite surprised because I think the length of it I was like, I don't know if Corey's going to dig this one. You know what I thought might have been? Uh, actually, we see sequencing matters, and it came right after Robbery, Salt, and Battery, and I hated that song. So <laughs> the, the fact that it was such a big improvement over that one maybe skewed my vote a little bit. So so that's kind of interesting. I was not shocked that you absolutely loved A Trick of the Tail, though, because you always talked about your your prog rock roots. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, that, that's very proggy. That's very Peter Gabriel Genesis. Kev's going to love this. It's not quite my cup of tea, but I yeah. didn't mind it. I didn't give it a, a failing grade or anything. It was a six and a five at a yeah. two and a half. So... Uh, you know, it's a passing grade on that one. I just didn't love it as much as you did. It's just such a compact prog rock song. You know, like prog rock is, you know, it's Rush, it's 10 minutes, it's, it's an entire album, it's an entire side of an album. That's what people think of prog rock. Yeah. But Trick of the Tail's got all the prog rock, prog rock elements that, you know, progs are looking for, but it's condensed into this night. It's almost like a pop song, really, right? Like it's got a this pop sensibilities to it. The, the, the massive chord changes, the, the number of chord changes are not jarring because they're so... Massively. Anyway, I've, I've waxed lyrical about Trick of the Tail too long. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm pleased with where we've come landed with this album. I think we're about right. I yep. think we've averaged out to a roundabout where I think this album should be in the Genesis catalogue. 73 and a half percent is yeah. what we rounded out to. So yeah, it's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that's a damn good score. I'm, I'm curious what I'm going to think uh, of the next one. <laughs> I'm going to, well, 
I should no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't swear you right because this is what we we were talking about how the hell we were going to do this voting thing for the album and the song because necessarily if I know what Corey's picked and he knows what I've picked, then that might prejudice and color the way I'm going to vote on certain things. So I thought. Mm-hmm. Corey had the idea. Let's let's send it out to an independent arbiter. I was like, "Fuck, that's a great idea. Let's do that." And the sexiest man in podcasting is the right one to do it. <laughs> yeah, we would have sent it to Mariano. Who knows what kind of chaos would have ensued? So, <laughs> well, yeah, he'd have picked a Guns N' Roses album or a Metallica album as the best album, and we wouldn't know it. We'd be none on the wiser. So, I, I guarantee you, John is not listening to this show. He would no, not. No. He would not be arsed to listen to any uh, any Phil Collins Genesis. That's for damn sure. Definitely not any Peter Gabriel or Genesis. <laughs> nope. I'd even more guarantee that. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this one up, my friend. Yeah, um, we're on social media, folks, so really should go and check that out. Don't forget to find us on social media at, at Ultimate Catalog Clash on Twitter and Facebook. Come and tell us why we're wrong. Come and tell us why we're right. Come and explain to Corey why you don't have to be a British ponce to love a trick of the tail. There you go. And maybe tell Kevin that, you know, music should have a point. <laughs> Just every once in a while. Well, apart from this show, Corey, you have about, what, 16 or 17 others? Do you want to list some of them oh, and let people it. know where they can find you? I forgot half of them. Uh, I'm pretty sure I still do a Van Halen show, I think, uh, called And the Podcast Will Rock. Uh, we do a show with John Marion and Scott Haskin called Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited, breaking down the entire you know, huge Aerosmith catalog. Uh, and we also do a show called Backtracks Theme Music, where we're breaking down our favorite tracks from our favorite movies. So if you want to check those out, they're all part of the Deep Dive Podcasting Network, which also features a couple of shows by Mr. Kevin Brown. Yeah, Seaside Pod Review, the Queen podcast that I do with my friend Randy, which is a bit more free form and loose. Or if you want to listen to me really nerd out and geek out on um, specifics of music, you can check out the Tom Petty Project. So at Queen Seaside on Twitter, uh, at Seaside Pod Review on Facebook and at Tom Petty Project on Twitter and at the Tom Petty Project. I can't remember which round it is on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. What do you think you know that? I took on too much social media, for Corey, for my first podcast. I was like, fuck am I doing this for? I love the Seaside <laughs> Pod Review. It's like, I'll just do two. I'll do Twitter and Facebook. So this one, folks, if you want to find us on Instagram, we're not going to be there. No, there, there's no way. And the only reason I would do the show is if Kevin did the socials, because <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I, I don't want to be anywhere near Twitter or Facebook if I don't have to be. It's usually people yelling at me for something I said about Van Halen. And uh, life's too short, so... <laughs> Should say though, too quickly on the Aerosmith podcast. I mean, you made a rod for your own backs by including all the live stuff because Jesus Christ, that band has released. I mean, well, more compilations than studio albums. That's right. And then yep. more live albums. How many live albums? 50? 60? Well, uh, uh, official, there's only like five or six. Oh, okay. So it, it's, it's not too, too bad. But that was John's idea. I don't know why John hates me. Uh, but yeah, he was the <laughs> idea to do all the live stuff too. So it, it, every different version of a song. So we have like, we'll have Dream On. Uh, you know, from the original album. We're going to have Dream On, the orchestral version from the MTV Movie Awards. We're going to have Dream On from every single live record. Uh, every different re-edit of Dream On we're going to have to do. So, oh my God. I, well, I got to find a way out of that show. Well, next time, I, next time I come on, what I'll do is maybe I'll just stack the dice with all the Dream Ons. I'll just, just do all the Dream Ons, yeah. <laughs> That's a great idea. Uh, at least we're guaranteed to get one. We played one already. But yeah, we, we can knock off the other six or seven. That'd be great. <laughs> okay, folks. Um, yeah, thanks for tuning in. If you've tuned in and if you haven't, well, fuck you. You know, that's that's your prerogative, but we're going to do this anyway. So yeah, next next episode is going to be Wind and Wuthering, side A. I'm looking forward to that because I think that's going to be, this was I, was, I was curious to see how you do with this album because I know what your entry point to Genesis was. I think this next album will be a little bit more challenging for you. I think, I think in certain elements of it, you're going to be like, oh, I don't know if I like that or not. But you know what? You surprised me with Ripples. Maybe you'll surprise me with this album. So. I'm kind of excited. I'm kind of excited because I've never, I, I've maybe heard Afterglow, and that's really the only track I, I may have accidentally heard 
uh, somewhere yeah. down. I do have the last Domino uh, vinyl set. I'm pretty sure Afterglow's on there. Yeah, uh, it is. But yeah. Uh, yeah, everything else I'm pretty sure I've never heard. So this is going to be really interesting.